The following podcast is a presentation of Hacks and Flax. We're a partner podcast to the Echo Chamber and a production of March Communications, a tech PR and communications agency. You can listen to our show on iTunes or by visiting marchcoms.com. That's marchcoms.com. We definitely focus on staying true to your mission and in the beginning doing one thing and doing it really, really well. So, um, and that, and that's true in the, in the tech sector as well is, is focusing on that one thing before you start kind of branching and expanding. Welcome to Hacks and Flax, the podcast from March Communications, where we talk about PR, marketing, media, and all things communications. I'm Manny Vega. Welcome back, guys. Um, really excited for this this week's episode. Uh, you know, we've had this this series. If you've been listening this year, you know we, we've uh, had a series of interviews with a lot of local entrepreneurs who are uh, starting nonprofits uh, and social enterprises, and uh, you know these these different companies that are really meant to solve social issues uh, in their communities. Um, and you know we've asked them quite frequently. We've, we've interviewed Daquan Oliver of We Thrive, uh, Michelle Cove of Media Girls, and Rika Ellisey of Beauty Link. And they've all said, you know, when we've asked, what are the local resources that you reach out to to uh, you know get help in building your business and communicating? Um, a lot of them mentioned Tug, the uh, Technology Underwriting Greater Good. Uh, it's a local uh, organization here that's helping a lot of these nonprofits. And so we said, you know, we're, we're hearing their name so much, we have to speak to them. Uh, so today we have uh, the executive director of Tug, Elizabeth. Dobroska? Yes. Dobroska, right? Dobroska. Dobroska. Yeah. Okay, there we go. It's Polish, I guess. <laughs> uh, I've been working on those rolling R's. Uh, thanks for being on, uh, on Hacks and Facts. Thank you for having me. And uh, congratulations as well. Thank uh, you. You were just now recently made the executive director of TUG, correct? Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, and we're talking about, uh, you know, you're kind of making this transition, moving away from more program stuff to really focusing on the funding aspect of the business, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, focusing on fundraising, overall strategy, and and looking at community engagement from a fresh sort of perspective. Cool. So, I mean, I guess from that perspective, can you give us kind of a background in, in what TUG is and, and what your mission is as an organization? Definitely. So you mentioned TUG, Technology Underwriting Greater Good. Um, I like to think of TUG as the nonprofit arm of Boston's tech community. What that really means to me and, and to our mission is that we are focused on engaging and connecting Boston's tech community with the most innovative social enterprises that are solving some of the toughest problems for local under-resourced youth. And we do that through a variety of ways. Um, you know, some of that is, is through events. We're an event-based organization. So we host this past year, uh, we hosted about 18 events uh, in 2017. We're cutting that down a little bit because it's, it's hard to uh, keep that momentum, uh, focusing on about 12 events this year and looking at how we can bring these two communities together. Because in my eyes and in the eyes of Tug, there really isn't a difference between, you know, tech entrepreneurs and tech startups and social entrepreneurs and social focus startups. Mm. So we really try to bridge those communities so that they can learn from one another and benefit from one another. An important part of what Tug does is we are local funder of these social entrepreneurs. When I'm when I'm talking to any tech startup or tech founder, I say, look, at some point, someone took a chance on you. Someone funded you, not your company, but funded you as an early stage entrepreneur, funded your vision, your dream, knowing that that might pivot and change. That doesn't really exist in the nonprofit sector. And Tug fills this really important gap in that funding space where we will write that first check 
for those really innovative, risky social enterprises that are serving youth in our community mm. here. Yeah, you mentioned risky, and I've seen that word a lot on, on the site. What what makes it a risky enterprise, I guess? I think um, looking at some of the organizations that we fund, when, when we say risky, we're looking at organizations that maybe not your traditional funder wouldn't fund. So we often use inner city weightlifting as an example or resilient coders. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with either of those two organizations, but um, we were the first you know, major check in at both of those organizations. And they were struggling in the beginning to really get funding because it's a new sort of program, new approach um, to, to nonprofit and traditional funders um, didn't think of them as a good match. And for us, those are the types of organizations that we look for. How are these these risky organizations, so to say, addressing really tough problems in an innovative, non-traditional sort of way? Mm. And what can we do to support them and help catalyze them? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, you said it's kind of there's not a huge amount of difference, let's say, between a tech entrepreneur and a social entrepreneur. But just for those who might not be familiar, what are these social enterprises really doing? It's, it's serving these underserviced communities, right, with yes. some sort of technology solution? Or? Yeah, not necessarily technology. So some of our we've we've funded now to date, I want to say it's 41 nonprofits. And many of them are not technology focused at all. But what they are doing is something really innovative in their space. And that's what we're looking for when we're when we're sourcing and vetting our organizations is what are they doing that's really different to disrupt this sort of space and industry that they're in. Some of them do use technology, resilient coders, you know, teaching um, under-resourced youth how to code um, and then kind of, you know, putting them through their resilient labs and getting them jobs ideally at tech companies and creating these opportunities for social mobility. Um, Another thing that we really look for in our organizations is is uh, a, an innovative and sustainable sort of business model. So if an organization can have an earned income model, I think that's really key. Given the current fundraising climate within the nonprofit sector, I think that it's incredibly vital for organizations to look at, all right, how can we be sustainable and scale in this day and age when we can't really rely on government funding necessarily? What can we do to to, to be savvy, to be business savvy while putting our mission first? Mm. And so obviously, you know, these organizations, they, they'll rely on, on something like TUG. Is, is this is this a unique uh, model is that? I mean, are you familiar? Are there, are there other organizations like Tug out there in the world? Or you know, you... so many people ask us this, and we haven't found another organization that has our same sort of model. I think um, you know, Tug was was dreamed up by Jeff Fagnan, who's a founding partner at Accomplice Ventures, formerly Atlas Ventures, um, and. I think he had this really unique vision for how he, coming from the tech community and coming from the venture capital community, could could fund and catalyze and grow these nonprofits and bring Boston's community together. And I think that's what makes Boston really unique from, let's say, you know, Silicon Valley or New York, is that we um, we have a really strong and deep sense of community here in Boston. And and Tug really tries to to be that connector that makes it a lot easier for tech companies to engage with with their community more directly mm. here. Um, but I think that. Um, I haven't seen another tug out there in yeah. another city, and and we often find 
cities or companies in other cities reaching out to us wanting to emulate our models. So we're thinking about how we can make that more accessible for other cities. Oh, great. That's exciting. Um, So when did you get involved in the organization and and why did you choose Tug? I joined Tug just over a year and a half ago as program director. And prior to that, I had been working at a a small venture capital fund here in Boston focused on hardware. And um, I had a sort of unique set of skills, I think. I've worked in uh, in startups, I've worked in nonprofit, and I've worked in VC, and I think that's kind of a, mm. a rare intersection to find, although I'd always been in sort of a marketing-related role and capacity. Uh, so I guess that, that was consistent throughout the various roles uh, and industries. But um, this is really what I was looking for. I've always been extremely passionate about um, meaningful and, and impact and mission-driven work. And I was looking for that. I was at a point where um, that's the type of role that I knew I wanted, and it's extremely important to me and my own personal happiness. And I found that at Tug, I'd be able to bring all these things that I care about so much. I care about innovation and tech. I think that you know, Boston especially has this really unique ecosystem. And I love being at the center of that, at the center of the tech community here um, and being constantly inspired by the people I'm working with and surrounded by. And but but I still needed to to have work that really makes me feel like I'm giving back and making a meaningful impact in some way. And Tug uh, offered the perfect opportunity for that. I, I love people. Um, and I think that for me, it's really important to have a role where I can be a facilitator and a bridge and uplift other people in the work that they're doing. That's yeah. when I'm happiest. And I know that the skills and the background that I have, uh, given these unique uh, storm of, of industries that I have, uh, would be really beneficial to Tug and I could help the organization grow and scale and support our nonprofit portfolio and tech community in a way that I think, you know, many other people wouldn't be able to. Yeah, no, I think that the background sounds like it was perfect, the startup and the VC and the nonprofit. Yeah. It, just, it kind of worked out, <laughs> didn't it? Um, so, you know, we talked offline a bit about kind of the support uh, that Tug gives to its its its, uh, its organizations in the portfolio. Could you just describe a little bit of that, kind of what, um, what support you guys do offer to your portfolio companies? Definitely. From the moment we invite a nonprofit to join our portfolio, we start setting up for getting them ready for our biggest event of the year. Tug Makes Boston, formerly known as our annual wine and tequila party. I was going to mention, uh, I know it started as a, as a wine party first, right? Yeah. Yes, right. yeah. So that's really the first event that our nonprofits are immersed in. Yeah. And this is this is no joke. This is a 2,000-person event. It's really a non-gala in many yeah. ways. It's our, it's our response to the gala. It's Tug's response to the gala. And that's an opportunity for our three new nonprofits to pitch who they are to the tech community and hopefully resonate and stick with them in some way. And they're not pitching on like this big stage and a really flashy sort of setup. They're actually going around this room with a group of 10 or so volunteers uh, who support their organization and are there to help spread the word to hopefully create some meaningful connections for them. And we've heard time and time again from a number of our nonprofits that they've been able to, you know, maybe meet a potential board member or mentor or volunteer at our events, which is really key to us. But Taking a step back, before that event, we host a pitch camp for the organizations, uh, for the incoming organizations. And in that pitch camp, we help train the organizations on how best to describe their mission. 
Um, I think that when someone is really immersed in the work that they're doing and and surrounded by you know a certain ecosystem, it's really easy to forget what their organization appears like or sounds like to the outside world. So we try to really hone in on what's the message that you're trying to get across. You know, what's the hook? How are you going to engage people? Similar to how uh, a number of different um, opportunities are available to tech founders to help train them on their pitch before they're going in and fundraising. We try to offer a similar approach to our nonprofits to really help them hone in on what their message is. Mm-hmm. And that helps prepare them, of course, for Tug Makes Boston, but also for the greater world at large. And we've heard time and time again from our organizations that the training that we give them on their pitch um, takes them through a number of meetings uh, later on as their organization grows. So that's just one way that we help support them. Of course, there's the financial support. So at our annual fundraiser, um, with 2,000 people, largely from the tech community, we distribute close to $200,000 in funding uh, to these early stage nonprofits. And uh, while it is competitive, um, everyone leaves happy. So, um, you know, I, I don't really uh, sign on to this, this idea that, you know, you leave with someone leaving with nothing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what makes it great, too, is for some organizations, you know, the 50K would be great, but they're just as happy to leave with the 10K grant and leave with many meaningful connections uh, that they've developed throughout the evening. So, um, it, you know, a number of organizations look at it in different ways, but at the end of the day, it's a great funding opportunity. So Tug provides really a different approach um, and a different way of looking at uh, what it means to be a social entrepreneur. We provide the funding um, that many of these early stage uh, nonprofits need to maybe scale and grow and hire someone else. And we also offer a really unique network and support system. And I think that's where we really shine, mm-hmm. aside from you know, being this, this early stage funder, is we are able to offer this huge network into the tech community, and especially for these organizations that are doing something particularly innovative and relevant to the tech community, that's huge for them. Yeah. Um, and even if they're not, I mean, I know inner city weightlifting, they do a number of workouts and sessions and programs with, with tech companies across the sector, even though their organization doesn't directly um, you know, use technology, right. so to say. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, when we spoke to Michelle, she mentioned, um, you know, that, that impact of that funding obviously is huge. You know, if you, if you, if you've got that funding, it's going to make a big difference to growing your business. Um, but you know, a lot of the feedback we've heard from, from some of the founders that we've spoken to on this podcast, um, you know, it also had to do with, as you said, the connections that are made, of course, um, but also the experience of kind of you know, crafting your story a little bit through that pitch process. And I'm curious if you can kind of, you know, talk about that at, at all. But it, it seemed like to them, at least, the the pitch process was really a great opportunity for them to hone in on what exactly it is that their their company is 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 doing, what the, the issue that is that they're solving. And, you know, oftentimes I came from a very personal place because they were able to identify something that, you know, personally to them, um, maybe it was an issue with their a family member or someone very close to them or something they saw in their in their community. Um, and, you know, going through this pitch process really helped them kind of hone in on that. Is that... Is that something that you see commonly with a lot of your portfolio organizations? Or? Definitely. My my philosophy to everything in life really is is that honesty is the best policy. And I think 
that really shows if you can work your own story into your messaging or work some really astonishing, interesting facts that will resonate with your audience, that's huge. And that's one of the things that we really talk about when helping the organizations craft the pitch initially. They come into our office, we sit down, and we 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 break down the mission of their organization, how it resonates with them, whether it's you know the founder or a staff member or volunteer, and then how it can resonate with the person that they're speaking with because even if they don't maybe identify you know culturally or or if they're from a totally different part of the country or different industry um, you know maybe there's a really interesting statistic um, that they can you know kind of provide and and offer some some shock value Mm. that will grab someone's attention so we think about how can they best relate to the audience that they're pitching and 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 remind them to be cognizant of that not just at our events but in general um, and I think that's something that I learned just being an innate marketer yeah. uh, is is important to to not only you know be honest with your with yourself but also with your audience and and try to think about um, how your story or how your mission or your project or whatever it is resonates with that other person in the audience. Yeah, um, I mean you, you do have a marketing background, so you know based on that, um, what do you think is like the you know, do all these entrepreneurs come to the table with like the set of skills they need to be able to market their their, their business effectively? Or do you feel like it, I mean, I'm sure it varies, but like generally speaking, do you think like, um, is this new to them in a lot of cases, having to try and sell their story to a, uh, an investor to get funding or, you know, or just I think it really varies. Yeah. So we've seen entrepreneurs from the, like across the whole spectrum mm-hmm. from really early stage, never done anything entrepreneurial, like still a college student trying to solve this problem. They're really, really passionate about it. You know, their, their heart is in it, but they don't maybe necessarily have all the skills they need. So they need to build a support system to, you know, someone who, has been working in the field for a number of years, sees a problem, is passionate about um, the community or maybe, you know, grew up in the community that could really benefit from this and now wants to give back to someone who maybe, you know, got an MBA and um, and wants to combine their passions for community and business. So uh, we've kind of seen it all. Mm. Uh, but I think one of the the most important pieces pieces of advice that anyone ever gave me and that I always try to share as well is that um, with anything it takes a village and having that support system and mentors and an advisory board is incredibly important to uh, being successful in anything you do whether it's personally or professionally and that's something that we often talk about and recommend to our nonprofits as well. And we also try to be available to them to help them as needed. I, I always say that Tug is uh, Darwinian in some ways and that you really get what you put in. So some some of our founders are reaching out to us regularly and trying to schedule, you know, a quick chat with me or with with Jeff, Tug's founder, and maybe some of the people who help them with their pitch at the accomplice office, which is where um, we tend to do this pitch this pitch practice. Um, so they're reaching out to them to get feedback and they're building that support system. And I always think that's incredibly important if you want to be successful because it's a roller coaster. Any startup founder, any nonprofit founder can tell you there are ups and downs and it gets really tough. And if you have uh, a group of whether it's peer mentors or mentors or champions or an advisory board um, for yourself and for your organization, having that support system in place to help get you through those rough patches is extremely important. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a good point about the support system. And it's definitely something we've heard uh, quite a bit about. Um, and I guess, you know, getting to 
the communications aspect of it. If you're thinking about how to tell the story of your organization and there's multiple audiences, it's, you know, I think in, in the for-profit world here, we normally think about like, okay, you're trying to market a product so people buy it, right? Uh, but if you're thinking about it from a nonprofit side, you're also trying to uh, tell your story to, you know, that potential community, right? And get people involved, get volunteers excited. Mm-hmm. I've, I've heard some, some challenges with that, right? Is that, um, I guess, what are the biggest marketing challenges that you see for these organizations? Is it funding? Is it I think I think funding is the universal yeah, problem. Of course, yeah. um, but I think aside from that, yeah, engagement. Jeff, um, Jeff always says that engagement is harder than dollars, and I think that's that's really true. Um, sustained engagement can be tougher than than getting someone to write that one time check. Yeah. Um, and even I think that the the funding and the engagement go hand in hand in many ways. And so getting people who will, you know, maybe it's not tough to get a volunteer for that one event, but getting that volunteer to come back and continue supporting you is really difficult. And so with any, with any organization and when talking to our portfolio, we'll think about what opportunities can you offer to keep your donors, to keep your volunteers, mm-hmm. um, actively involved throughout what you're doing, thinking when you're thinking about your programming, you know, while it's obviously extremely important and it should be your number one priority to think about the programming that serves um, your your target community, it's important to also keep in mind as you're thinking about that programming how to bring in people from outside yeah. so that they can continue to support you and help you grow. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we talked a little bit about this pitch practice uh, process. Um, I'm just curious, you know, when you're walking through this with, with a, um, an entrepreneur, um, what what makes a good pitch? What are you? What kind of skills are you trying to get them to, to work on? Um, well, definitely, I'd say immediately being able to read your audience. So if someone's not into it, you know, yeah. you don't. I would say like don't necessarily don't waste your time. Yeah. yeah, don't push it. If you see someone's engaged, ask them questions, um, and and really try to uh, to try to find out why why they're interested in what you're doing. But I think you know at the core of any great pitch, there's obviously that hook that gets someone interested in then in in what you're doing. Then there's um, that that next point of sort of pulling on their heartstrings and and um, resonating with them on a deeper level. So you've hooked them; they're listening. You know they're actively listening. That's when you really uh, you know hone in on your mission and what you do and how you're solving this problem in a unique way. So what's your differentiator? What makes you different from anyone else, from the competition, from anyone else? And how are you doing it differently? Because at the end of the day, there are so many organizations and so many nonprofits that are solving many complex problems. It's hard to uh, get someone's attention and keep that attention. Mm. So really highlighting that differentiator is incredibly important and then leaving someone with an action item a way to get in touch with you a question a way to open up the conversation to them mm-hmm. that's not totally unlike uh, i would say the for-profit process right yeah I mean, it, it's the same yeah. we use the same sort of approach yeah because uh, i think that there really isn't a difference and i think that any social entrepreneur needs to be business savvy and needs to be thinking about those things that actually goes to something that um that we spoke about with uh, with Daquan, he mentioned how um, you know he was kind of borrowing certain concepts and certain ideas from uh, just traditional sales and marketing tactics. So I think, for example, like one of their tools was uh, using like a Mailchimp, a ma- you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a email automation basically yeah. to um, engage with the various schools that they're reaching out to, um, and it just made things faster, more efficient. And they use like a automated calendar app to you know make sure that people are able to book meetings quickly, that sort of thing. 
Um, and I think it was his, his perspective was that, you know, it's important to have that type of innovation in this nonprofit space. Um, and there's probably much more potential for more organizations to take that up. Is that something you agree with or is that? 100%. Um, even for nonprofits that have a small budget, there are so many free tools available out there. Um, there are a number of, you know, even to give you like a, you have Google Analytics, obviously, that's yeah. like a, a, a great approach. And I think being data driven is incredibly key. And I think as organizations try to prove their impact, being able to capture that data is huge. And there are a number of platforms that are available uh, to organizations that will allow them to do that. And that's one of the things that we, I also try to go over with our organizations. And I'm actually working on putting together uh, a list of, of free resources that organizations don't have to dedicate any dollars to, although I know it can even be tough to dedicate time to them. Yeah. But if you put in a few hours, the return on that can be huge. But even something as simple as you know using a, a free online platform that allows you to make like really easy infographics to um, to convey that data that you've gathered yeah. in a really easy to um, understand kind of way. That's I think that that's you know that's really common in the for profit sector um, and really second nature to to many people within tech is having that you know those great visuals and and thinking about um, you know how the data and the information looks to people. But I think. Um, sometimes with nonprofits, we we can forget that, or or we just don't realize uh, the tools that are available. Mm. So those are things that I definitely try to highlight: is taking advantage of these free tools that are out there and using them to your advantage, and 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 also using volunteers to help you with that. You know, if you don't have time for it, bring in a volunteer who does marketing for a tech company yep. uh, to to donate a few hours to help you show you how you how to use those tools, or maybe even. You know, kind of bust out some of these some of these marketing emails with you. I know um, outside of work, I I try to be involved with a few organizations, and I know that that's where I can offer um, a lot of of expertise and help. Because uh, oftentimes, many of these organizations need someone to help them think through this marketing strategy and help them implement it. Like they just don't have the time necessarily to yeah. implement it. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and uh, you know, there is. I would say um, definitely some appetite from volunteers to get involved in that. And I think uh, a good example is like in the software development world, you hear a lot from developers who, you know, they work on uh, whatever, an app for a company, but um, they do care about using that coding skill for something that's important. So if it's like on the side, I get to help out with a really cool project and it's something that I care about, then that's that's good too. So, so those opportunities definitely do exist. I, w- I want to talk a little bit about like timing mm-hmm. uh, because one point that came up a lot in our, a lot of our conversations, and I'm just kind of curious to get your, your perspective on it, is um, when's the right time to really sort of put more time and effort behind spreading the word about your organization? So like one challenge was, um, okay, you know, we got a lot of attention because we got some funding or we got a lot of good press, you know, some, you know, the New York Times or somebody covered us and it was great. Uh, and therefore we had a lot of inbound requests for people that, you know, that were looking, if you're, if it's like a, a We Thrive, you know, more schools were looking for, for us to get involved with them. Or if it's a, a Media Girls, you know, we had a lot more attention from many more school districts who wanted us to bring this training to their schools. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we couldn't handle that demand necessarily. So I'm kind of curious, is there anything you, you normally advise in terms of timing or is it just sort of kind of, you have to deal with it as it comes and goes? We definitely focus on staying true to your mission and in the beginning doing one thing and doing it really, really well. So, um, and that, and that's true in the, in the tech sector as well is, is focusing on that one thing before you start kind of branching and expanding. So if, you know, if you're at this really interesting inflection point, maybe you've just received some funding, you're getting more press, suddenly you have all of this inbound interest. I think, um, 
you know, one of the best days, one of the best ways to deal with that is, is to think about one, do we have the capacity yeah. to scale? Uh, because I've heard and, and I've spoken with organizations, um, that, that we've interviewed who, um, expanded too quickly to um, other states even like they were really small had minimal amounts of funding but had a partner you know out in ohio who said we would love to bring you here um, and we'd love for you to expand your program here and then they did and they weren't able to uh, maintain that program as well as they could locally because at the end of the day having those boots on the ground is really key i think for most models um, of most models of these organizations so looking at you know what can you scale effectively is really key and also staying true to your mission so making sure that any new partners that you're bringing on and any new projects that you're taking on um, aren't requiring you to at an early stage really shift your model yeah. um, because it's it's really tough to uh, keep that momentum yeah. going I imagine it's it's probably tempting to want to scale in some I mean especially if it's something you care about and it's like you know other people could benefit from this um, you know, we can make it work. I'm sure there's a way that if we just work hard, we can get it to work, right? But it's, as you say, it's important to stay true to the mission, right? You can't stay true to the mission. Yeah, and do it, and you want to do it well. Yeah. That's the big thing is you want to make sure that you're doing it well, um, and and that you can can maintain the momentum. Mm-hmm. There are a number of programs you know, that will that will help organizations scale, and one of the things that we recommend, and one of the programs that we recommend to our nonprofits as they're thinking about scaling, is the Green Light Fund. Um, because they, they're really helping fund, um, let's say Boston organizations that are expanding into a new city. And they're very familiar with what it means to, you know, open a new office or branch or whatever that may be. Um, so there are a number of resources out there that are available to you, but we really, we really focus on encouraging our organizations to, you know, grow, definitely scale, um, but do it in a way that is sustainable. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that seems like one potential kind of obstacle pitfall that you have to kind of maneuver around. Are there any others that you typically uh, run into and that you try to like make sure your entrepreneurs are ready to avoid in terms of just, you know, if it's communicating or if it's growing your business or if it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it might be? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, hiring is always one of the toughest mm-hmm. things for, for any organizations, um, especially after they get a lot of press um, and they're looking to, to hire someone and grow. Hiring um, for fit is really important and also making sure you're hiring skilled people. I think passion, you know, is just one part of it. I think on top of that, you have to make sure that you're really hiring people who are skilled and who can work autonomously. You know, when you're running a really small organization, you need to bring on people who can wear many hats. Mm. And I think, um, with, in my case, pretty much every role that I've ever had, I've had to wear many hats. Yeah. And I think that's helped me grow. Um, and that's always, you know, what I, what I recommend, um, when people are hiring is hire someone who obviously cares about the work that you're doing, but also, um, is really savvy and can work well independently. Um, and is a, and is a good fit for this sort of startup environment. Mm. Um, any sort of tips or anything that you would, uh, advise, I mean, beyond just hiring, but like really in the communication side, anything you would advise in terms of a, you know, a social entrepreneur trying to get the word out about their company? Definitely. Um, I think relationships are key. I remember um, listening to Scott Kersner from the Boston Globe um, once, and he gave a workshop on 
um, on how he looks at, at PR. And it's really about building relationships. You know, you can't just, you know, email out all these cold pitches to people you've never talked with and expect them to write about you. Like with anything in life, you want to be genuine and you want to develop relationships with the people who are going to write about you. So uh, you, I, I remember him, I remember him telling that and kind of showing his, his, um, his inbox to the group and the number of emails that he received. And, and it's so clear, um, and so transparent when, um, you know, there's, there's a, an ask in yeah. there. Yeah. So I'd say, and, and what I do tell many of our, our, our executive directors and founders is that building those relationships is extremely important. You know, go meet up for coffee, um, kind of share what you're working on without any expectation of getting anything in return. I really believe that the universe, you know, does, um, does reward you when you, when you work hard and, um, and, and when you kind of stay true to your mission. Um, and I think that, um, that as long as these founders and these executive directors are really working on developing those relationships, sharing the work that they're doing, um, you know, when the time comes and when they're ready to really, you know, ramp up PR and ramp up marketing, that's when, you know, they'll be in a position to reach out and say, hey, you know, we're working on this and we would love for you to cover this. Whether it's, you know, offering the exclusive to someone that you've developed that relationship with um, or just giving them a heads up and, you know, if they pass, that's okay. Hopefully you've developed that that connection with someone else. But I'd say developing those relationships uh, especially in the PR space is key. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the word genuine. I, I'm, I feel like that's even more important for these type of organizations where it is, it's like really a personal mission, right, that you've even started the organization. So it's, uh, you don't want to kind of undercut yourself by, as you say, you know, the blast emails and yeah. just making it kind of just seem like any other, any other thing, right? Exactly. Um, okay, cool. And I guess getting into, I mean, looking a little bit more broadly, um, obviously, you know, there is a lot of attention, I think, being given to these types of organizations and just for tech trying to do something good. Um, I guess what does... What's unique about these these social enterprises that I guess that makes them the right solution for a lot of the challenges in their communities? Mm-hmm. Um, again, it varies because they're 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 you know they're, they're solving a broad mm-hmm. array of issues. But I think um, I, I read an interesting article the other day that was talking about how uh, millennials are impact are are impacting investing. And so many millennials specifically, but people from, of all ages are really looking at the triple bottom line, people, profit, planet. And we try to do a lot of surveying at Tug and, and gathering data after our events. And one of the themes that we see consistently is that people at tech companies and, and millennials especially really want to um, not just have fun at an event, but they actually want to learn and they want to engage and they want to give back in meaningful ways. Um, you know, they're not just talking about like an hour of, of park cleanup. And while that's important, um, they realize that they have skills that can really benefit these organizations and they want to do more. So I think that, um, that what we're seeing and the trends that we're seeing in the industry are that, you know, these tech companies want to be involved. Their employees want to be involved. So it's important from, from two sides. It's employee, important from the employer side, from the company side for employee retention. Um, and for the employee, it's important for, um, for their company to offer them opportunities to team build, but also to show that their company cares about the community. I mean, if someone is going to stay somewhere for more than a year or two, we always see people jumping around so much now. Uh, You know, I think that there needs to be more than just the work. There needs to be a sense of community within the office and a commitment to giving back. 
And I think that's where Tug comes in in a lot of ways. We're able to provide opportunities like that for these tech companies that maybe, you know, are, are at that mid-sized stage where they're like between 20 and 200 employees and maybe they don't have a culture committee yet mm. or they don't have a designated HR person to focus on team building specifically. And that's where we can come in with our events um, and offer an opportunity for these companies to get involved with nonprofits that resonate with their employees um, and resonate with the founders and the leadership, frankly. Like I think many of these founders and um, and CEOs can see themselves in these social entrepreneurs mm. um, just because, you know, they might be solving different problems in different industries um, doesn't mean that they, there isn't a commonality there. And I think there definitely is. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, you see that and and entrepreneurs of any industry are excited to connect with each other and, and help one another and be resources for mm. one another. So I think, you know, Tug resonates and our community resonates from that like tech leadership side from the company side and from the employee side Um, and for the for the nonprofits it's obviously huge to have access to this network um, of people that they can rely on and hopefully will become mentors um, and also maybe uh, develop a pool of volunteers through that as well yeah that's that's an interesting point so I mean it makes tug kind of a resource not just for the nonprofits but also for the for-profit companies that want to give their employees an opportunity to get involved in this and 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 they themselves, you know, care about some sort of issue and want to get involved as well. So definitely, uh, and tech gives back. Uh, coming up on October nineteenth is our huge annual day of service. It's, I think it's the largest day of service in the world by number of companies participating. Uh-huh. We get about fifteen hundred people from the tech community who volunteer at nonprofits across Greater Boston, and that's not just. Um, you know, specific to our nonprofit portfolio, but really a variety of organizations across greater Boston. And what I love about this day is it shows the impact that the tech community can have. Like if we can have this impact in one day, imagine the difference we can make if this is sustained throughout the year. So this is one day that really highlights that. But uh, we always love seeing that companies uh, tend to incorporate volunteering and giving back into their uh, company culture. That's cool. Um, so, so you're yeah. seeing like a growth of that kind of thing or the, the trends, are they moving in that direction where there's a little Definitely, bit of a, a yeah. groundswell? Um, Tug is also involved in um, powering the Pledge 1% Boston initiative here locally. Um, and that's another way for companies to easily um, give back um, whether it's now or later, uh, Pledge One Percent Boston is an, ish- an initiative that um, the Boston Foundation and Tug spearhead here locally, and it offers um, it offers companies and founders an opportunity to pledge one percent of equity, um, or time, or um, profit or product um, to the community, and that's I think you know in many ways that's a really easy sell because um, you know one percent is seems it's manageable and especially if you're thinking about equity you know at at the point of liquidation that's when it's a natural time to really give back financially as well Mm because we recognize that many early stage startups right now uh you know might not have the capacity to make big financial donations although we found that the community is pretty generous um and many of these companies can scrap together some dollars to uh to definitely help fund our our grants uh, at Tug Makes Boston in the spring, and also to help fund Tech Gives Back. But um, you know that's that's an opportunity 
that that we think is also really exciting for companies and founders to be able to give back. That's great. So, I mean, it's good to hear that it's, it seems like there's a lot of practical ways that, you know, a lot of tech companies are actually starting to do their part as well, not just, you know, it being in the nonprofit sector, but these for-profit companies are really kind of, whether it's giving time or money or whatever, you know, doing something to help with these issues as well. Definitely. Cool. And so Tech Gives Back is another opportunity for that again. You said it was October 19th? Yep, October 19th. It's a Thursday. What's the venue? Uh, so it's citywide. It's oh, actually... Okay. Uh, all across greater Boston. So some companies will choose to shut down their entire office for the day. Some companies will have one department go or a representative from each department. It really depends on how your company is structured and and how you want to, to look at the day. Um, but people spend a few hours the whole day volunteering at various organizations across greater Boston. And then we all convene at the end of the day for a big after party. So it's an opportunity to celebrate the day, get together, connect with the nonprofits on a, on a more personal level. Uh, and it's a blast. It's my favorite day of the year. Awesome. That sounds like it's gonna be great. And how do people get involved if they want to? Is it uh, just clear? go to techgivesback.org. Techgivesback.org. Okay, great. And if, and if they want to learn about Tug, what's the... Uh, Tug.org. T-U-G-G dot O-R-G. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. Elizabeth, tell us all about Tug and, and kind of what you guys are working on. Um, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks to you for listening. Hacks and Flax is a production of March Communications. Uh, we are a PR and marketing agency here in Boston. If you'd like to learn more about our show or our agency, you can find us online. It's marchcoms.com. That's marchcoms.com. There you can find archive episodes of Hacks and Flax over on our blog, where you'll also find articles uh, and ideas from members of our agency on the worlds of PR, marketing, media, and communications. You can also follow us on Twitter. The handle there is at HacksFlax. And of course, we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Uh, you'll get the latest episode delivered straight to your device every time that we come out. That's it for this week. I'm Manny Vega. We'll be back again really soon.